0: So we're going to pick up in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And, and the first part of this is, is the, the younger son, right? So you have a, uh, you know, we'll call them brothers and sons I'll bounce back and forth, right? You got the older brother, and the younger brother. Um, I told Michael and Ben, this has nothing to do with them, right? It has nothing to do with me and my brother, right? Like it's, it's right? These aren't, these aren't stereotypes. This is just an abstract, right? Like here's the older brother and here's the younger brother. Um, and here's how they react to different situations. Here's what happens to them in life. And the first part of this is we're going to see that this, the younger brother makes some decisions. And it's going to describe his destitution, his poverty, his incredible, like, the results of his rebellion and recklessness. And so, verse 11 begins... And he said that there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, I'll stop there for a second. We'd be reading too far into this, like, we don't know. We don't know what that conversation looked like. We don't know if this was a completely inappropriate request. I mean, there's some scholars that go back to that culture, and there's a lot of debate over, like, Was this totally out of left field for the the younger brother to make this request? The father doesn't hesitate. He just divides up his property. He's like, okay, here you go, right? So we don't know if this is a rebellious act right now. It's just this is how how he sets the stage. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. So pretty quick. Right? Packs up. He's like, not many days. Like, um, see ya. Thanks. Thanks for the stuff. Thanks for the possessions. And he journeys into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. I think we all either have experienced this or we know people who have experienced this, right? Like, there's, there's a decision that's made. He goes, like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to some far country. Maybe, maybe he was just adventurous. Maybe he's like, I've grown up here. I want to go somewhere else, right? Like, I want to, you know, and and he makes some bad decisions. And now all of a sudden he's living and and it's described as reckless living. Later on we'll get some more details that the older brother levies an accusation towards him. But verse 14 says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So we see this spiral, don't we? We see this decision that he makes, and he's like, hey, can I have my share of the inheritance? Maybe there's nothing wrong with that. Goes to a far country. Maybe he's just adventurous. <laughs> then he starts making some bad decisions. Lives recklessly, squanders all of his money. He's now poor. But, but notice that there's something more than that. It's more than just that he squandered his wealth. Look at, look at what it says in verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. Isn't that interesting? Did the famine need to happen in this story? Like, just imagine that the famine wasn't there. He spent everything. You could could tell this story without the famine entirely. He squandered all of his wealth. He lived in reckless living. He he was longing to eat food from the pigs and hired himself out, right? Why the famine? I think this is really interesting. Because I I think what, what Jesus is doing here is he's going like, That was the tipping point, right? Like, it wasn't just enough that he had become impoverished. It wasn't enough that that he was hungry and all these things. But then God allows a famine. Maybe that's a blessing. You see, it wasn't extraneous. I think it's Jesus revealing God's sovereign hand in the midst of this. He's making these decisions and these poor decisions. But, but, but God is, is, is in this. He's doing something. In verse 16 it says that he ends up feeding unclean pigs. Jewish people didn't eat pigs. Don't eat pigs. Don't touch for him to be feeding the pigs and caring for them and desiring the food that they're eating, that's about as low as you could get from a Jewish perspective, right? Like that's, that's bad. That means his employment is forcing him to be unclean every single day. Do you guys remember when we talked about this when we went through the Torah? Right, This idea of, of clean and unclean, and, and you, you had to be clean in order to be able to like go into the temple and worship properly. It wasn't sinful that you were unclean. It just limited your ability to be in the presence of God. And so you wanted to be clean so you could be in the presence of God. Well, here he is, day in and day out. In order to eat, he had this paradoxical thing, right? Like, I need to eat, but... I have to be unclean to eat, which means I can't be in the presence of God, which means and he's just stuck. It's not hard. It's not hard to get stuck, right? Sometimes we, we forget and we start to think that we're above those things, right? That we've made good decisions and therefore good things happen. But man, we are all just one decision, one famine away from destitution, aren't we? And the question is, is where do we go then? We don't have to wait for that, right? The the point of this right now is is that he's going to reveal what the younger son does, what how he responds to his destitution and it's an incredibly beautiful thing because what he ends up doing is as he's in this just horrible place there's nowhere else for him to look he's out of options you see we all have options most of us in here have options we can work we can we've got community we've got family we've got people right At a minimum, right? Like we're doing a whole benevolence thing. But by the way, today's the last day. So if you haven't, if you know somebody in this congregation, right, family, friends that you're connected to, we want to be able to help them out this this Christmas. Honestly, I don't know that we've gotten a ton of responses, but like, if you know of somebody, let us know. Like this is what we're here to do, right? Is to bless people and to to take care of people and each other to show the love of Christ. And, and so this is what God, where he puts us in these situations so that we will then trust in him. And so here's this younger brother, and he's in a bad spot. See, that's the spot where the gospel starts right when when you stop realizing when you stop thinking that that you're the one that's earned your place when you stop thinking that like that that you have control over your life right because you don't i mean we all have plans tomorrow but none of you really know if it's going to happen we pretend like we know but we don't and it doesn't take much and see and there's this weirdness like like, sometimes God takes us into these places so that that's where we go, man, I can't trust in myself. You can't trust in yourself. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not a good decision maker and you don't have, you know, prosperity and, and savings accounts galore or whatever or a great job or it doesn't matter. It doesn't take much for us to be in a place to go, I really have very little sovereignty over my life but there is one who does, and it's God. He's sovereign over your life. And so that's the beginning of the gospel. That's why we say the gospel is good news, right? Because when you're in a place where you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm out of options. I'm out of strength. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. That's when we turn to God. That's when we fully recognize who God is and why we can trust him. And so this is what we see next. It's the younger son's repentance. Look at Verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, now, we can get into a long theological discussion as to what those words mean, and we're not going to. He came to himself. His eyes were opened. He went, what am I doing? What? How am I going to fight my way out of this? How do I solve this problem? He literally had no option except what? To go back to his father. That's it. It's the only option. He had no money. He was unclean to eat, right? Like that's all he could do. So in verse, or in the second part of verse 17, it says, He says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He compares himself, not not to the son, right? Like he was there as a son. He's He's not even thinking like, man, I could be back and be restored to where I was at. He's like, even the servants, the people that are just like serving my father have more than me right now. You see, in his mind, his father has this level of provision that he can care for him, regardless of whether he's a son or a servant. It didn't matter. He knew that he could go back to the father. And that the father would then either would, would then employ him, right? Like would allow him to be his slave, his servant, his bondservant. So it says in verse 18. So, so he rehearses this. Right? This first part of this is the rehearsal. He's like, okay, I'm going to go back. Maybe some of you have been in this situation. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going, to, I'm going to say this to my father. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's repentance. He wasn't trying to fix his situation. I mean, he was, but like that wasn't, like his mind changed. His mind changed. He wasn't just like, let's see, I could keep muddling around doing this and maybe I can work my way, start a job, you know, whatever. He's not just trying to fix his his predicament. He's changed his mind. That's, that's what the, word, the Greek word for repentance is, is to change your mind. It's, it's, he goes, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Like, I made a bad decision. I, I agree with you. I agree with God. That's what repentance is. And so when we individually repent, that's what we should be doing. We should be saying, I agree with you, God, that what I just said, what I did, how I acted, is a sin. It's rebellious to you and to the person I offended. You're with me on this? David says this, right? He, he says to God in one of the Psalms, it, 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 to you and you alone have I sinned. Well, that's not true. He, he sinned against... <laughs> What's his name? Bathsheba's husband. Riah, thank you. Good job. Um, right? Though so he sinned against him pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> seems as though, right? But, but that's not what he's, he's like, I sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. You see, there's more to this. And, and we've watered down repentance, right? We think repentance is saying, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. What more do you want from me? Is that what we do? I mean, how much of a checkbox is that? Like and, and what does the other person say? What else do you demand of them? All they can say is, I'm sorry. Well, go back in time and undo what you've done. You can't. Make up for it. Oh, that's dangerous. You see the problem? You see the predicament? And this is why the younger sons like I, I don't even think I can be back as a son. Like I'll go back as a servant because I've ruined the relationship permanently. And that's what sin does. It it permanently scars relationships. And we can and maybe you're somebody who doesn't hold grudges and you're like I can forget that uh, you know yeah you offended me or whatever I'm not you know not a big deal. But we all know it hurts, right? It's, it's still there. It's still a, a chink. It's still a bump. It's still, there's still something going on there. You see, in the, in the younger son's mind, his thoughts, his actions, his decisions, he's ruined this relationship. And he agrees with God that this is not what he should have done. That very first decision. Father, can I have my part of the inheritance? That was dumb. And he repents of it. He changes his mind. So let's look at the father's reaction, because the father's reaction, right? So, so you may you may correlate, right? You may associate, if you will, with the younger brother, the younger son, where. You're like, man, yeah, that's, that's me. All of us at some level should be, right? All of us have walked in disobedience. All of us have rebelled. All of us have sinned. All of us still do. And our lives are marked by a gospel that says, just repent. Just agree with God, really. Right? And, and trust in him. But look at the father's response. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That word there, compassion, you guys remember from last week when I talked about that like that where it said that the um, the uh, the servant that couldn't pay back his debt, right? That the uh, master showed uh, pity towards him. Remember this? And I was like, that that word pity is this like deep seated, like deeply rooted, like compassion for him. It wasn't like I feel sorry for you. It was like this deep. This is the same word. And so the father has this deep. Compassion now as his son returns. So let me ask you a question. Did the father know what was happening? (laughs) I always challenge them. (laughs) Did the father know? what the son had been going through? He must have. Otherwise, he would have, just, he would have just been like, hey, welcome home. How's it been? How'd it go, right? You got a lot of land? Yeah, have you you've been successful? You know, give me the update. No, he runs to him, and he has this compassion towards him. The father knows what's going on, and same thing for us, right? And then this is the parallel in this parable. Like, God knows what's going on in your life. Even when you're rebellious and you're walking away from God, God knows He's just waiting for you to repent and turn. He's just waiting. He, he waits for us. He's patient. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. He cuts him off. (laughs) The son son starts coming back and he's like, okay, here's." I wrote this down because I didn't think I was going to be able to get through it. Father, I'm sorry. I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the father just goes, stop. Stop. Welcome home. He says, Welcome home. Like like you're you're still a son. You were always a son to me, right? It's nothing you have to do. It it was the turn. It was just you coming home. That's all God wants. It's just the repentance. It's just the turning. It's just the trust. It's just going, like, my father's got provisions for me. My father just wants me to be in his presence. That's all God wants. He wants us to understand that we don't have control of our lives and to put our trust in him. That you can't work your way into his embrace. That you have to trust your way into it. That's why we say in the gospel it's about faith about trusting in Christ. And so this is what he does. And the father, what does it say? It put, puts a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, gives him a robe. He doesn't, he doesn't even let him talk about the servant piece. He's like, you're my son. You're exactly back where you were. There's no like, I told you so. There's no, did you learn your lesson? Well... Maybe you can work here for a little bit and prove that your repentance is real. That's a tough one, isn't it? The father goes, come on in. Come back. And look at what he does in verse 23. He says, and bring the calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. If you have your Bible open, underline that word celebrate. Then he says in verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. He throws a party. He is celebrating. It doesn't matter the the, the poor decision, the reckless life. That doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter for us. It's the repentance. It's the turning around. It's the placing of trust in Christ. That's all it is. That's all God wants. He wants us to understand that like he's there. He'll provide for us because he's our father. That's it. And so he has this huge celebration, right? Like, like the fat calf, like that was the one that they were waiting for the big thing, right? Like, like the next time there's a big event, this is what we're doing, right? It's like, it's like the Christmas dinner, right? You, you know, everybody's been thinking about what they're gonna be making, right? Does everybody know what they're making on Christmas dinner? Right? It's like that, right? Like, how often do you plan that far ahead of what you're gonna eat? I don't know, maybe maybe some of you are weirdos and plan out a meal, do a meal plan. I don't know. But like, but like this is this is what's going on, right? He's got this fat in cabin. He's like, go get it. Let's slaughter it. We're gonna invite people, and we're gonna celebrate. And you gotta imagine everybody's like, Did you hear what the son was doing last week? That's weird. Why is he celebrating? He says he was dead and now he's alive. He doesn't dwell on the lost money, right? The father could have been like, man. You took half the inheritance with you. Now I'm out. He doesn't say like, well, for the last two years, you could have been working here on my my farm, and we would have been twice as successful. He doesn't think about those things. It doesn't matter. It's water under the bridge. He, He was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And, and this is why Luke chapter 15 is just this beautiful um, kind of packaging that Luke does. Luke's a doctor, right? And so he, he organizes his gospel very well, uh, very methodically. Next year, we're actually going to go through the entire gospel of Luke. Um, and so as he, as he walks through this, it's, it's actually pretty interesting. If you back up to Luke chapter 15, verse 6, he talks about the parable of the lost sheep. I'm not going to go into a bunch of details on this because it's what you're going to read this week. But look at Luke 15, 6, and when he comes home, so he's talking about this lost sheep, right? And he says like, which one of you, if you had all these sheep and you lost one, wouldn't you you go look for it? Wouldn't you go look for the sheep that you lost? And he says in verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now don't read too much into that last line. And I think we'll talk about it this week. But, but like, his point here is like, if you found your sheep, wouldn't you celebrate? Right? You, you'd be thrilled. And then he goes on in um, verse 9. Parable of a lost coin. Talks about a woman who's, who, who lost one of her silver coins. And it says, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he tells the parable of the prodigal son. You see the packaging here? What's it about? It's about God's celebration over repentance. It's about God's celebration over finding the lost. It's got over God's celebration and joy when somebody turns, when somebody recognizes their rebellion and sin and turns and places their trust in God, that's the whole point. You don't have to turn here because it might take a little bit, but Zephaniah 3.17, listen, listen, listen to how Zephaniah describes God. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You guys get that? We come in here and we, we sing worship songs to God, right? And we're singing directly to God. Like that's what, that's what we're doing in here. Communal worship. This describes God singing over you. (laughs) Not because of the good things you've done. But because you turned and came home. Because you trust in his provision. He doesn't hold a grudge about your reckless living. He sings over you. He rejoices over you. All of heaven rejoices. I mean, over and over Jesus tells this parable, right? All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. When one person recognizes that they need God, that the Father is the only place of provision. That's a beautiful story. You see, this, this, this parable isn't very much about the prodigal son. It's not very, I mean, that's just setting the stage for Jesus to tell us about how the father feels about you. But there's the older brother. And unfortunately, his response, he, he's wrapped in, in self-righteousness. And this is, this is a tough one. Because this whole parable is about Jesus, right, eating with tax collectors and sinners. That tax collectors and sinners is the younger brother, right? He's with me on this? And the older brother is who? The Pharisees and the scribes, all the, the righteous religious people. And so he then digs in in this parable to talk about the older brother's Self-righteousness. Let's pick up here in verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. The party was already going. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said, Your brother... Has come And your father has killed the fen calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. Why? It's actually, this took me a little bit. Why? What? Like, why does he care? Like, awesome. You know, I would say as well, if the father knew what was going on with the younger brother, presumably the older brother knew what was going on too. And I think his refusal to go back says that he knew something was amiss, right? He knew his brother had been living recklessly and rebelliously. And so he goes, I'm not going back there. I'm not going into a party to celebrate his sin. If if I go into that party, aren't I condoning what he just did? What's the father doing? What's going on here? His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, "Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command." Yet Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What's that celebration for? What, what would the older brother have been celebrating? Just a party to party, <laughs> yeah. He's like, you're 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 killing the fattened calf to have this huge celebration over the younger my my younger brother who's been sinning and living a rebellious and reckless life. But you never gave me one so that I could go just have a party with my friends and celebrate our righteousness. What what else was he celebrating? Right. He was just like, man, I just. Let's just have a party. Let's eat well. Life's good. Those are two very different celebrations, aren't they? One is relatively meaningless. And frankly, maybe we have a lot of meaningless parties. (laughs) Maybe we have a lot of meaningless celebrations. as we get ready for this time of year and Christmas, right? Like, this is a celebration. It should be a celebration. This should be the biggest party we throw. And so the older brother he's having a hard time with this um, verse 30, but when his but when the, the the older brother continues, but when this son of yours that's how he refers to his brother That word, it is fitting. It's also in Matthew eighteen thirty three we read last week. It's fitting for you to forgive others because God has forgiven you. He goes, it's fitting for you to celebrate. You see, there's an appropriate response here, and the older brother didn't didn't respond correctly. Why? I think it's because the more contrast there is, the more contrast there is between them, the better he looks. You think, right? Like, like, isn't there this weird, twisted piece of our self-righteousness that says? the worse somebody else looks, the better I look. And there's this, there's this picture here where this older brother is going like, I, I, I've done everything right. You should be celebrating over me. Why aren't you celebrating over me? I've never disobeyed your commands. I've served you all these years. Celebrate me. Acknowledge what I've done. But what's the celebration for? Dead to alive, lost to found. The Father says, you're in my presence. What more do you want? You see, I think this is a very interesting picture because what more can we have than be in the presence of God? What more can God give you? There's nothing more. That is the def- defining characteristic of heaven is being in the presence of God. And the defining characteristic of hell is what? Not being in the presence of God. God can't offer you anything more. That's it. That's, that's the culmination of existence is being in a right relationship with God and dwelling in his presence for eternity. You want that in a house? Right? It's silly. You want, you want that and and... A nice car, right? Like, like, you see how silly that is? And, and so God's going like, you're with me. You're in my presence. I'm, gi- I'm giving you all the provision. Your brother left. He thought he could do it on his own, and he couldn't. And he realized that I was the place of provision. And so he's come back. Awesome, great. You're with me. He's with me. This is how everything should be. And the older brother goes, then what was all my, what was all my works for? That's not the point. You see, the the older brother is so wrapped up in his self-righteousness. He forgets where he's at. See, a lot of people would say that this parable is actually about the older brother more than it is about the prodigal son. And it makes sense in context, right? Because what? The Pharisees and the scribes were murmuring and grumbling against Jesus. And so Jesus is going, hey, you guys are the older brother. You guys get this? Like, you're the older brother. Stop grumbling. Like, these tax collectors and sinners want to hear truth coming from God. And you're, you're upset about it. Why? Because they lived a rebellious life and are now, and are now coming to God, and, and you don't like that? Why, why don't you like that? God's celebrating. Heaven's celebrating. Why don't you celebrate with us? But the Pharisees and the scribes were so religiously, Minded. They were so just righteous in their own self-righteousness. They're like, no, 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 we're different because we've served God our entire lives. And, and so we deserve some, some higher level of, of appreciation. And Jesus is going, you can either be in the presence of God or you cannot be in the presence of God. You can either recognize that he's your savior, savior or you can think that your works are the things that saved you and that's the dangerous spot. So let me ask you a question. If the brother knew that his if the older brother knew that his younger brother was was in this. And this is a little bit digging deeper into the parable which I usually don't do, but I think this kind of sets up something that I think is is pertinent here. Why didn't he go after him? Why didn't he as a brother go seek out his younger brother and and help rescue him I guess you could say the same thing after for the father but there there seems to be something there where where this hardened heart right of like, of the older brothers like and and the same thing and then you take the Pharisees and the scribes you go why weren't you guys going to the tax collectors and sinners right and and again if you were if you, when we were going through Romans, right, this whole difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? These, these sinners would have been the description of the Gentiles, right, like the non-Jews. And so he's going like, why aren't you going after them? Why aren't you telling them about who God is? But instead they're like, no, 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 we want to be separate from them because then it makes us seem better, So why didn't the brother go after them? Why didn't the Pharisees and the scribes go after the task collectors and sinners? Why didn't they tell them the truth and, and allow them to repent and turn, and, and then everybody would be celebrating? You see, ultimately, the Pharisees, the scribes, the older brother... They believed they were in the presence of God. They believed that they were provided for because of their works, because of their righteousness. That's what he says, right? I've served you. I've obeyed you. That's what kept me here. You love me as a son because I've served you and obeyed you. He goes, no, that's not it at all. See, your younger brother didn't serve me and obey me. He's still my son. (laughs) Isn't that... Right there's some twisted logic that we get into where we start thinking that like we've earned our place in God's presence. He's like, that's not how it works at all. It's like you're my son. If you turn, you trust in me. And go to Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. Paul even describes this. He says, um, "For by grace you have been saved through faith." This isn't your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, that's the problem. The older brother was boasting, wasn't he? He's like, I deserve, just give me a young goat to go celebrate with my friends, to celebrate our righteousness, because we're we're, we're here, we're good, everything's great. He goes, No, don't boast in your own work, because it's the provision of the father. It's the grace of the father. It's, it's trusting in his provision why you're a son. And the younger son displays this for the older brother very clearly because the younger brother did not deserve it, right? He deserved punishment. He deserved to become a servant. He definitely didn't deserve to come right back to the same status he was. And that's why it's called grace. It's undeserved merit. doesn't matter where you've been. It's the starting point of the gospel is when we recognize that it's the Father's provision that we need. You can't generate righteousness. You can be a nice person. You can do good things. But you can't make yourself righteous. That's why it's called the gospel. It's good news because Christ's righteousness is given to us on the cross. This is the exchange, right? We talk about this all the time, this great exchange where where Christ gives us his righteousness. Paul goes through over and over in Romans, right? And then he takes our sin and the punishment our sin deserves. And that's how we get reconciled with God. It's in faith. It's trusting in that. That's it. It's not based on your works. It's not based on how often you come to church. Now, you'll want to come to church, You'll want to worship him because that's the right relationship. You'll you'll want to read his word because you know this is is a love letter from your creator, right, where he's explaining who he is, and you want to know more about who he is because you're in a right relationship with him, not out of obedience. Not to say, God, I, I read through the Bible every year for 10 years straight. I don't understand why these things are happening to me. No. Or I deserve this. I deserve to be saved because look at look at how long I've served for in, in the church or in these different things. No. No, that's the older brother. But I think there's an aspect to this that that maybe I think celebration is the point of this parable. But I think there's a third, there's a third piece to this. And I might be stepping too far, and so, you know. What I'm going to say is true, but I think there's a third son. The one telling the story. Because think about this, right? Like the, the younger brother is rebellious and reckless, okay? That, that's one of the sons of the father. The other son of the father is self-righteous and obstinate and doesn't go after his younger brother. And then you have Jesus, the son of God, Who does what? He leaves the father to go rescue his brothers. That's exactly what he does, right? Like Jesus is the the good older brother. He's the older brother that does what he's supposed to do, right? He's the older brother that's faithful and obedient and goes and rescues his younger brother out of what? Out of compassion, out of sympathy, out of empathy. And so I think as Jesus is sitting here doing exactly that, eating with tax collectors and sinners, going, I'm rescuing my brothers here, right? And he's like, You're the older brother. You didn't go get them. I had to come down and go get them. Isn't that incredible? You see, at the end of the day, this, this parable has so many facets of it. And, and I think what's beautiful is that Jesus isn't just rescuing the tax collectors and sinners. He's rescuing the Pharisees and the scribes as well. He's revealing to them the compassion that they ought to have. He's revealing to them, like, why, open your eyes. Look at, look at this field is full of harvest and ready. Like, like, these people need to hear the truth of the gospel. And you're sitting here standing on your own self-righteousness just waiting to what? For some reward. And so Jesus does the modeling for us as the appropriate son of the father and lives out the life that we couldn't live. And he rescues every single one of us, Pharisees, scribes, tax collectors, sinners. He rescues them from their self-righteousness and the others from their rebellion. That's our savior. Let me pray.